Hello and welcome back to Let the Stone Speak. I'm Brent Nachtigal here in Jerusalem, Israel. Last night I interviewed Dr. Scott Stripling. He's the provost at the Bible Seminary in Katy, Texas. He's also the director of the renewed Shiloh excavations that are about to start next week. However, this interview was about something extremely important. It was about the curse tablet that was found back in 2019 on Mount Ebal, the mountain of curse, as the Bible would put it, from Joshua's time. This was a discovery that was released to the public, first of all, last year. And then the scientific report of that, uh, of this uh, amulet or curse tablet, just came out last week, and it's produced a lot of commentary on it. So I wanted to interview Dr. Stripling. He's the lead author of this paper to make sure we get the uh, discussion from him, let him put it out there, why he published the scientific report where he did, um, and then some commentary on the importance of the inscription, the important, and also some answering some of the, the, the commentary that's come out online since. Please forgive me for the recording. This was uh, we, our original plan uh, fell through right at the last minute as far as the software we're going to use. And so we settled with Zoom. So you'll have that to watch. But nevertheless, it's all there. All the audio is there and the video is there. So I hope you enjoy it. This again is with Dr. Stripling, uh, recorded in Texas a day before he flies out to Israel for the Shiloh excavations. Dr. Stripling, thank you very much for coming back on Let the Stone Speak. Happy to be here, Brent. It's uh, I think the last time we spoke was actually about uh, the uh, Mount Ebal curse uh, tablet um, back when you had your big press conference uh, announcing to the public the discovery of it. And then you were going to go away and um, get your scientific report published. And that was the uh, the effort. And that has been done. That has been done now. It was published uh, earlier. I think it was last week. Um, in heritage science, you are cursed by the God Yahweh, an early Hebrew inscription from Mount Ebal. So congratulations for that. Thank you, sir. I'm, we're happy to have that out in the public domain. Yeah, this past week, there's been just a barrage, absolutely, of um, of people giving their own impressions, giving their own thoughts. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people think it's horrible. Some think people think it's fantastic. So I thought it would be so good to have you on to, to get your take. And I've got some questions for you, of course. But I think what might be lost in all the translation and the words, I just want to set it up by going from kind of the known, from the known to the unknown about the actual artifact itself. Um, so before we get to the, the inscription that's on it, please fill people in about the facts of the location this was found, the dating of it, um, just maybe in two or three minutes, if you can do that. Well, I would love to. Uh, the, the tablet is about the size of a business card folded in half, small strip of lead. Uh, we recovered it in late December of 2019 doing a wet sifting project. Um, on Mount Ibal and at Shiloh, I was taking old dump piles from the 1980s to demonstrate what was being missed and left behind in the dump pile when we were not wet sifting. Um, I was anticipating finding scarabs and, or bula, but I was not anticipating this lead tablet. When I saw it, it was discovered by Frankie Snyder in her tray, and she was our most experienced wet sifter, so it was fortuitous that it was in her tray. Um, she and I both recognized what it was immediately, a defixio, because we've seen many of these. They're cursed tablets. Mm -hmm. this, they're, they're a known quantity. They're often found in tombs or wells, things like that. 
Um, what was unique about this is that Adam Zertal had only identified two strata at Manival in his excavation from 82 to 89, stratum one, stratum two. So it was either late Bronze Age two or Iron Age one. And mm -hmm. so those were the only choices. And so I was kind of scratching my head saying, you know, this is a curse tablet from the mountain of the curse from what appears to be Joshua's altar. But I'm only aware of these from a later time period, Hellenistic and Roman. Uh, so let's, you know, let's kind of hold on and see what research shows us. So I was more shocked than anyone, Brent, when our, our scanning from Prague, the tomographic scans that we, we did, came back and we began to see these proto-alphabetic letters. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we were sort of in shock because this proto-alphabetic script is the precursor of Paleo-Hebrew. So it's older than Paleo-Hebrew. So uh, that's kind of how we found it and how we got to that point in the process. So just if I could just give a, a slight recap as well. I mean, this is, and I, I just, I went back and I, I watched our, or I read through the transcript of, of our interview. And this is before you knew what it said. Um, mm -hmm. before you had all the scans done. Oh, what did I say? <laughs> and no, it was 100% accurate. I, oh, I was wow. actually really pleased uh, to go back and because we published that interview in our magazine mm -hmm. because it, 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 it talked about how absolutely amazing it was to find a curse tablet on the mountain of curse in the right, you know, in the right context as far as you can get from doing a dump uh, amongst, you know, Iron One or Late Bronze Age um, uh, pottery and you were just absolutely blown away. And then we did a follow-up interview and it's like, we might actually see a letter or two. And you were <laughs> linking, I think I could see a resh maybe. Yeah. And it was just like, this was already phenomenal, this discovery. And yeah. we just blown away. And then came the reading of the mm. inside of the inscription. Um, so people should realize if you've been caught up in a lot of this back and forth, number one, even if the inscription on the inside, what you've got on your paper, even if there's debate about that, this is still an absolutely phenomenal uh, discovery. Right. Um, one more part about the dating that you bring out in your paper, I think is significant as well. And this relates to the, the lead itself. Could you yes. just- <clears throat> Right. So we had the lead tested. Um, there was a tiny piece of the corner that had broken off. We had that tested at Hebrew University, and the metallurgical results were very illuminating. Um, we know because of the chemical signature of the lead, we know the mine from which it derived. And it mm -hmm. comes from the Aegean, uh, a place called Lavrion, and a, a lot of lead objects come from that mine. So it's a well-known mine, and we know that it was in use in the late Bronze Age. And then what we also know is that exports from the Aegean to Israel, Canaan, ceased around the year 1200. Mm -hmm. So, you know, archaeology is a contact sport, Brent. Oh, <laughs> don't we know you know, it now? <laughs> <laughs> we, there's not a lot that we all agree on, but I think everyone agrees that exports from the Aegean to, to Israel, Canaan, ceased around the year 1200. It's the collapse of the late Bronze Age civilization. Right. Okay, so that's, we're all on board with that. So if, if we put those two together, it comes from a mine that was in use in the late Bronze Age. And then there were no exports for a long time after 1200. Then this supports the idea of a pre-1200 date. Right. So let's talk about the, in, in the, the paper now and the inscription itself. I guess the inscription has two parts. 
the part that you've, you're discussing in this paper with your co-authors is from what's actually inside. So nobody can see this, this, the, this part of the inscription. This is done with some amazing uh, technology. And I, no offense to your paper, but I read the introduction, um, the archaeological context, and then when it got to tomographic reading of the interior text, methodology, reconstruction of the tablet, it was like, I need some type of right help with that but it was so good that you put that in there because this is showing how you can read inside of a lead tablet which apparently x-rays are not meant to you know be able to go through so briefly talk about that um process if you can um and then you know what how can you derive the reading that was gotten from those scans well i got an education on this myself as we went through the process on what tomographic scanning was i was vaguely familiar with the process but once we started doing it i became fascinated and what they're able to do is through a series kind of like um a cat scan in in the human body to penetrate through and using the echoes or the reverberations to accurately see what is uh, on the inside. So fascinating that, I mean, we knew we could do this with say um, paper, a a scroll, a carbonized scroll to read through it and unfold it digitally. But I did not know we could penetrate through lead until we started this process. We found a lab in Prague that had demonstrated that we could, and that's that's how this came about. So imagine trying to, the, the journal, trying to find peer reviewers that have expertise in tomographic scanning. So there's that scientific aspect of it. And then the archeological expertise and then the epigraphic and paleographic expertise. So, you know, it, it was a bit time consuming this whole process. Not only did we want to dot every I and cross every T but there were interdisciplinary sciences that had to be, had to come to play as well. So there are, there is some pushback, I guess, initially on the choice of the, the um, journal, <laughs> yeah. and that's probably speaks to that. Would you like to speak to why it was published in Heritage Science? Yes, I, I would. I would first let me say this, no matter what journal we would have chosen, and we you know, considered many, it, in some people's mind, that would not have been good you know, unless it was their journal. So there were a number of the the people who have spoken out now who are already on the record as being predisposed against this. And uh, so I don't think any journal would have satisfied these people. Heritage Science is part of the prestigious Springer family of journals. It's the creme de la creme. It's ranked in the 93rd percentile of all journals. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a prestigious place. We had to find a place to publish it that would satisfy the our, our colleagues in Prague and that would satisfy the epigraphers and that would satisfy me archaeologically. Um, the, the peer review process was rigorous. There were uh, three peer reviewers and uh, they and they're gave anonymous, us, right? They're, they're yeah. chosen by the journal itself. That's right. Blind peer reviewers. Um, the, the goal of peer review, Brent, as you know, is not just to say yes or no, but to help right. you improve the paper. Okay, so you've got experts who are qualified. And so you'll get comments like um, or suggestions like if you added a a table here that illustrated this, it would make it more clear, you know, those types of helpful things. So we we went with heritage science. And incidentally, the the article has been out now for five days and it's trending in the 99th percentile of uh, of all all journals. So uh, of all articles within uh, journals. So that's why we went with heritage science. And uh, on the second part, uh, we may go with a different journal. We haven't gotten that far yet. 
And so can you just describe these two parts? Uh, the first part, I guess, is the the, the general contents of context of the discovery, as well as the inscription on the inside. And then you're going to publish the outside. Is that correct? Later? That's right. Um, let me say one more thing about the, the journal choice. I saw one critic a couple of days ago made this ridiculous statement. He said, heritage science is a pay for play journal. You, you pay and you, they don't publish it unless you they're So in other words, they're going to publish this, of course, because you're paying them money. So all open access to my knowledge that I've dealt with, there's a fee that you pay so that anyone can download that article. That's what makes it open access. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with whether it's accepted or not accepted. Right. Uh, so this particular scholar implying that that we paid someone to publish this, this is just laughable. I hope his own colleagues uh, thump him on the head for saying that. <laughs> so it yeah, looks what like was your question. <laughs> it looks like it was. So, yeah, the next one, I guess. Can you speak briefly about the authors? You have the, you're doing, you're the overarching author, the main author, and then you have a couple of epigraphers. Uh, why were they chosen? And then also you have, I guess, the, the, the scientists from Prague. Is that all of you? That's yes. So I initially uh, invited, I had the scientists first because we had discovered them with the help of Zwi Konisberg, my friend, we had uh, entered into a relationship with this, this group in Prague. And so first of all, I had them on board. And then once I knew we had something, we started seeing letters that uh, clearly like an oxad morphing into Aleph. So when I knew that we had something, I invited Peter Vanderveen to join the collaboration, a well-known West Semitic epigrapher. And uh, Peter accepted. And then I told him that I would like to have a second epigrapher uh, to make certain. I want two people to tell me that we're seeing what we're seeing before I stick my neck out. And um, he suggested, um, or I, I don't remember, maybe I suggested, but anyway, we discussed and agreed that Gershon uh, uh, Galil would be a good choice. I had a European, I had an Israeli, uh, someone who's Jewish, someone who's a Christian. I wanted some diversity of idea and thought within there to make sure that we were seeing the same thing. So ultimately, we had the scientist in Prague, the two epigraphers, and me. So when I read your paper... Um... And go through the the um, the inscriptions itself. You have you know this. It's kind of like an internal debate <laughs> within the paper. If you read the fine print towards the end, um, there's a maximalist position where there's a lot of letters being seen on the inside, and then there's a more circumspect, I would say, position which perhaps doesn't see the see as many, and probably doesn't. Um, I'm not sure of, uh, whether the reading. Whose whose discernment is the reading itself? Mm. Is this a general position of your all the team? Is this one scholar with that reading? Do you do you agree with part of the reading? Um, not all of it. What's your just your take on that? Yeah, well, you're right, and um, but I hope that the readers and viewers will see this as a good thing. Okay, mm -hmm. that we didn't go in to to prove a point because within the own team i wanted diversity uh, of thought and we tried to reflect that but the consensus was that this is more or less what this inscription is saying it is a curse it has the name yahweh within it it seems to be self-imprecatory um gershon believed that you know he could see everything he was positive of all 48 letters and had no doubt on his mind uh peter and i were um um we could see most of them and the ones that we weren't sure we wanted to say we weren't sure so mm -hmm. that other uh, uh, other scholars then could have at it and and you know 
hash this out. When when we're dead and gone, we want people to have good data uh, to go by to hash this out. So yeah, that was that was the process, and um, I think it was a good one. So as far as you're concerned, and and let's just say with Peter Vanderveen, I'm not trying to get too much of a debate going here, but are those are some of those very important words, Yahweh? Um, are these more clearly seen um, mm. on the scan than some than the the entire the entire inscription? Do you believe like the the critical words that would you know mm. kind of fight against a documentary hypothesis and things right. like that? Are they more visible uh, in your opinion than than perhaps all the others? Uh, yes, the none of the, the the mentions of the divine name. There are not disputed letters within those. Okay. Um, so just to remind the viewers, we're dealing with scans mm-hmm. and it's tiny letters. Mm-hmm. And so they're inscribed with a stylus. And in part B, we'll talk about the style. We, we recovered two styluses in the excavation. Um, so you got a stylus, you're writing on tiny letters. Sometimes they overlap and you don't have a standardization that's going on. So it's, it's a, a bit complicated in that sense. But here's what helped. We thought, for example, we were seeing the name uh, Yahweh. Yohebab. And later we discovered when we got new photos back of the outside, high-res photos of the outside, we found bulges on the outside reinforcing what we thought we were seeing on the inside. Mm -hmm. And that gave us great comfort (laughs) that, you know, what we thought we were seeing in the scans was reinforced by the bulge. And some of those bulges, I guess, that are on the outside, that'll appear more to be discussed in the, in the next paper as well. That's right. Yes. And, you know, it's mentioned in here. And so I hope that, that people will really take note of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the final analysis, Brent, what, what we did, and again, you said a more minimalist view, and this is certainly was my goal from the start, is I want to say we've studied this for a long time. Right. Spent countless hours staring at these scans and putting it all together. All I am saying is, to the best of my ability, this is what I think it says. I I found it. I'm responsible for publishing it. I can't pretend that I didn't find it. Right. And so now this is, to the best of my ability, what I think it says. Mm -hmm. Here's the raw data. Right. If you think it says something else, that's fine. Every inscription that's ever been published, there have been scholars come out with alternate readings of it. So. Yeah, that's where we are. I I I just interviewed um, Daniel Weinstub. Um, of the Pithos inscription in Jerusalem, and he just presented a new reading. I think this is maybe number eleven or twelve, and this has eight letters. So, right. yeah. So there's always going to be uh, some debate over this, and uh, you know, there's. I don't know. I'm untrained. I'm not an epigrapher. Um, I can definitely see some letters on there. I probably can't see as many as every <laughs> as you could see. I haven't been staring at these um, for that long, um, and I think it's always good for people to remember you are. You've got a scan that's quite small. You've got a small defixio, folded in half. You're looking through the middle of it, and you're trying to make out the letters from that as well. Have you thought of doing like a dummy, um, creating your own defixio right now in a piece of lead with a stylus, clamp it down, and then see what the scans with some letters that you know you're absolutely 100% sure I'm writing these letters in there, then squeezing it together, putting it together, and then going through these scans. Just see the quality of the images that comes back. Uh, Brent, you're brilliant. No one has brought that up. 
I wish I could take credit for it, but now you're on the record on the air. Everybody knows it was your <laughs> idea. Uh, no, I have not thought about that, but that is a great idea. So um, going forward now, you've got the one paper done. You're going to obviously bring in other people and, and think about the feedback of what other people give. Mm -hmm. um, and then you'll have your secondary paper. This one was sent in, received December 29th accepted March 26th, published May 12th. This is a, a five-month process. Um, how soon can we expect the the next the next paper? <laughs> well, I know. And then we all have lives on top of this, you know. Right. You're about to leave that. to you're about to leave tomorrow right. for the big in Shiloh. So I appreciate you coming on for for this. Yeah. And in jobs that we actually, you know, get paid to do. So um we hope to by the end of this year, um I haven't finalized what the collaborative group will look like for part B yet, but um, we've already started researching. We don't have to go back over the archaeological context again right. in the next article. Other, there are a few things I want to add, like about the styluses. Yep. Um, we don't have to go back over the tomographic stuff again, the scientific stuff. We can just refer to it. So in a sense, it's a little more simplified and we've already got our research done on the letters you know yep. parallels and research so it won't be nearly as complicated so i would hope by the end of 2023 that we would have it done and um and then sometime in 2024 maybe early in 2024 that it would be out these things always are more complicated than we uh want them to be and you'll probably just need enough time to recover uh, from, <laughs> from this one before you publish the next one <laughs> i know so true well, I, I don't I don't want to talk about it too much. I think people should go to it and read it themselves. We had an article up on uh, by Christopher Eames on our website that we published just going through different commentary and hopefully just providing a bit of a big picture look at this because again, you've got a bunch of scientists that are going to start yelling at each other over a few letters um, and then you can throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is one of the most amazing discoveries ever made in the land of Israel that supports mm -hmm. the bi biblical text regardless of if the whole inscription is accurate or not, it is already yeah. up there. So again, thank you very much for going to the dumps, sifting the dumps, you know, finding what you found, going through the paper process, and then dealing with the onslaught um, of not your enemies, your um, your fellow scientists that are yeah. hopefully the goal of science, right, is to try That's and get right. to as close as we can get to the. Excellent. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it and I uh, look forward to seeing you in uh, Jerusalem soon. Yep. A couple of weeks. Good to see you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for watching to the end and thank you for Dr. Stripling for taking the interview. I would like to mention our magazine. This is Let the Stone Speak. This is the issue that we produced last year as the result of a discussion about Joshua's altar. Um, this one is available online for free. It's just by PDF download. However, if you want to receive the hard copy of the magazine going forward, you can do so for absolutely nothing, absolutely free. Simply go to our website, armstronginstitute.org, scroll down, and you'll see a place where you can enter in your details to receive this magazine. It's on biblical history, biblical archaeology. And you can also, if you don't want to go to the website, just write an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org. 
saying that you would like to receive Lap the Stone Speak and also put your address and your name, of course, and we'll make sure you get put on our subscription list for the next six months. Um, all you have to do is show that you're interested, reply within that time saying, I want to be put on it uh, renewed for a year. And again, we'll make sure you continue to get copies of Lat the Stone Speak. Um, and then it'll never be charged. So don't worry, you'll never be uh, up for any money. You can keep on renewing year in, year out. Make sure you get this magazine. It's very important. Thanks again for listening. And I'll talk to you next time.